Welcome to the Grove Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. And now to this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. tipping point for all of creation. 24 hours that has set into motion every part of history from that point in one way or another. 24 hours. Over the next six weeks and then on Easter Sunday, we're going to be looking at the 24 hours that changed the world. It started with a simple Passover meal that led to a prayer in Gethsemane that ended with an arrest and then a trial and somewhat of a conviction, a beating, a scourging, a cross, a death, 24 hours. All of that occurred in 24 hours. So over the next six weeks, we're going to look at each one of these segments of this 24 hours. Now, this is loosely based on a book by a man named Adam Hamilton, who's written a number of books. And this was actually a sermon series that he did years ago in Kansas City. We're not going to use all of his material, so don't run out and buy the book. But we're going to use his outline because he looks at it, this 24-hour period, in the book of Mark. Last year, we did something similar, but it was the last week of Jesus' life, and we looked at it from the book of Matthew. This year, we're looking at a 24-hour period. So for the next six weeks, we're going to only discuss 24 hours. But it's from the book of Mark, and we're going to pick our way through these scenes and try to understand a little bit deeper what those 24 hours meant and why they indeed changed the world. Now, the story we're going to read today is one that's not unfamiliar to most of you. It's not something that is a shock to you, and there's nothing in the story that is really new news to you. But I want to look at it from a different angle and with a different lens today than we have in the past. We're going to be looking at Mark 14, and I've chosen to limit it to verses 17 through 25. We could go a little bit before that and look at the preparation for the meal, but we're going to just pick up right where Jesus enters into Jerusalem to have a meal, the Passover meal, with his disciples. Now, a couple of things you need to know is kind of a setup to this, okay? First off, Does anybody know where you had to have the Passover meal in Jesus' day? In a Jewish home, that's a good guess. That's what you do now. But in Jesus' day, it was limited even further than that. Does anybody know where you had to have the Passover meal? To really celebrate the Passover meal, it can only be done in one place. Within the walls of the city 
of Jerusalem. It's the only place you could really have the, the Passover meal. And so Jews from all over Israel came and flooded Jerusalem for the Passover because that was the only legitimate place to have the Passover meal. And it had to be within the walls. You couldn't be outside of the city. You couldn't be right across the Kidron Valley on the Mount of Olives. You couldn't be at Bethany, which was literally almost, you could throw a stone and almost hit it from the gates. It had to be inside the gates of Jerusalem. Because it was a holy moment. Now what did Passover celebrate? Why did they have this meal every year? What did it commemorate? The Exodus. It was the Exodus coming out. Moses, someone said Moses. It was Moses leading his people, the people of God, out of Egypt, out of slavery, and out of their horrible situation. So every year, they celebrated the commemoration of that. Now, what did they do at Passover? Like, what, in the, not, not the Passover meal, I'm not asking about that, but when Passover happened, there had been ten plagues. The last plague was this plague of death over the firstborn. But what did the people of Israel do? What did they have to do? They had to, they had to sacrifice a lamb, and then what did they do with the lamb's blood? Put it on the doorposts, right, of their home. And so every year at Passover, they had this celebration that remembered all of those things. Part of the meal was taking bitter herbs and dipping it in salt water. And as you take that in, and if you've ever had a Seder meal, you've experienced that. If you, when you take that in, it's a reminder of the salt water is the tears of the Israelite people as they were bitterly enslaved. So bitter herbs and salt water. Then they had this kind of chutney, and I couldn't pronounce, I don't, I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, but it, it's this mashup of, of uh, apples and a few other things, right? What else is in that? Apples, raisins, vinegar, it's just kind of this weird mix-up. But when you mix it up and you stir it up, it looks like clay almost. And it was a reminder that as slaves, they were putting mud together and making bricks, and they were using clay to build parts of Egypt. They were slaved and slaved, and it's a reminder of them having to work in the mud and the dirt and the grit. And then they had lamb at the Passover meal. And the lamb was a reminder of the sacrifice. And they had an egg, a boiled egg at the meal, which was a reminder of the new life that God was giving the people of Israel. He was taking them out of slavery and into this new life of freedom. So all of those things happened at the Seder meal or the Passover meal. So that's the setting of this story that we're about to look through. Okay? So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Mark 14. We're going to start with verse 17. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me now. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? And he didn't answer any of those specifically, did he? In verse 20 it says, He said to them, to all of them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. Now, in Mark's version of this, he doesn't call out Judas. In Mark's telling of this story, right, 
When he says, one who is dipping bread in the dish with me, it didn't happen to be Judas who was dipping uh, Judas who was dipping bread with him at the same time at that moment. In this scene, Jesus is saying, in essence, it's you. It's one of you. It's one of the twelve. Now, one of the things that I forgot to mention about the Passover meal is that it was extremely intimate. This was like your, your closest people. Now, generally, it was your family. Or if you were a rabbi, it was your disciples. It was the people that you were closest with, the ones that made, that made your, your crew. They were your gang. It was your squad. And Jesus says, it's one of you. Let that sink in for a second. It's one of you who's about to do this. And the dish, by the way, because of the way it's worded here, that we think they were dipping out of, is actually the dish that looked like mud that was the apple mixture. One of you is getting in the mud and the mire and the dirt. One of you has become enslaved to something else. One of you is about to betray me. I think that's important to understand for the context of what Jesus does next. Then he goes on in verse 21 and says, For the Son of Man goes as it was written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. So not only does he say, One of you is going to betray me, but it breaks my heart. This is what I was supposed to do. I'm supposed to have to suffer. But you betrayed me. This is a powerful context for what comes next. And it's important for us to understand when we look at the application. In the middle of this intimate setting where he's with his best friends, his comrades, his colleagues, his disciples, his squad, his crew, his people. He says, one of you is about to betray me. Verse 22, and as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. Now, in the layout of the Passover meal, the food was served, then there was an explanation, then there was blessings given through it. And it's somewhere in this process, Jesus takes the unleavened bread. It's right in the middle of the meal, the Passover meal. And he breaks tradition, like he totally breaks what they're supposed to do here. And he takes a piece of that bread and he breaks it and he says, take, this is my body. He doesn't say, take, this is my body broken for you. That's, that's somewhere else. But in Mark's telling of this story, he says, take, this is my body. And what he's saying to his disciples here, in Mark's version of this story, is that I'm giving you myself, and I will forever be with you. You are taking me in, my presence, into who you are. I will never leave you or forsake you. See, 
in Mark's version, it's not about the brokenness. Jesus isn't saying, I'm about to be broken on the cross. He's not saying, I'm about to be broken by being beat. He's not saying, I'm being broken because one of you is betraying me. What he is saying is, I'm giving my body up so that I am with you. Take, this is my body. And the verb here is, is a present active indicative, which means it is and always will be. And it never stops being. So Jesus is saying, I am forever, always present with you. Take me in. This is his promise of his presence. Now what's interesting, if we look back to the context, is that he's saying this in the context of betrayal. But it's not just Judas that's going to betray him, is it? I mean, think about this. Who else betrays him over the next 24 hours? Yeah, Peter, but the real answer is all of them. Right? I mean, not to pick on Peter. That's a great name, guys, by the way. I'm just saying. But Peter denies him three times. Yes, but all of them run. And by the way, who are the only ones who show up? The women, all the women are like, because that's what y'all do. Where were the men? They were gone. They were like pulling the, uh, the Scooby-Doo run. All of them. And he knows, he knows that they are going to betray him. He knows that they are going to run. He knows that they are all losers. But in the middle of that context of knowing that they're all going to betray him in one form or fashion, he still says, take, this is me. Now hold on to that thought. Don't go to application yet. We'll come back to that. Verse 23, And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the, of the covenant, which is poured out for many. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. If the first one was a promise of his presence, the second, the second element here is a promise of his forgiveness. What he's saying is, I now am the new covenant. Just as Moses took you out of slavery and into the promised land, I'm taking you out of slavery to sin into the promise of forgiveness and new life. This is my blood of the covenant. I'm replacing the old covenant, and I'm the new covenant. But it's not just poured out for you, it's poured out for who? Many. And the idea here is, is that Jesus' forgiveness isn't just for a select few. It's not just for those who look good enough or are smart enough or say the right things or happen to walk up in front of a church and say a prayer that's nowhere in Scripture and say it and then all of a sudden rubber stamped into heaven. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many He offers it to his betrayers, and he offers it to many. And it's not just a select few. 
Now, the interesting thing is we think this is the third cup in the Passover meal. The third cup represented redemption. It represented the saving act of taking people out of slavery and giving them a new life. Now, think about that for a second. Could you imagine being a slave where every day you work for 10 hours and people beat you with whips if you slowed down? Can you imagine being a slave where all day, every day, you were slumped over in the mud and the mire making bricks? Can you imagine for 10 hours a day? And then at the, in the evening, you couldn't go and worship your God. In the evening, you couldn't go and sit down to a nice family meal. You got kind of leftovers. You got the bare minimum. Your life was defined by work, by abuse, by hunger, and by lack of identity. You're just a cog in this machine. Can you imagine going from that to saying, no, you are God's people. We are removing all of these things that were, that were harsh and hard in your life, and I'm giving you a whole new life. I mean, that's what God did to the people of Israel. Do you realize how radical that is? Even in our own history, can you imagine what it must have been like to be a slave in the South? And then to all of a sudden have your freedom. And what that must have been like. That's how radical this is. Jesus is saying, guys, I am giving you new life. You don't have to be a slave to the old ways. You don't have to be a slave to to the mud and the mire and the muck. I'm setting you free to something better and bigger. And that's in essence what the third cup represented in the Passover meal. And so when Jesus takes his cup and he says, this is my blood of the covenant, what he's saying is, I'm now the new covenant and I now am giving you an even better way of life than the promised land was. The promised land was freedom from slavery, and it, they literally, you, you know this, right? That Israelites literally walked in, defeated different groups of people, and started living in their houses. They didn't even have to plant the fields and the crops. They didn't have to till the soil or anything. They walked in, took over, and they're like, hey, that's pretty cool, right? How many of you would like to do that? Let's just all take off to Southern California because there are some beautiful places in Southern California with mansions. And let's just all go live in a mansion now. We don't have to do anything for it. That's kind of what happened with the people of Israel. But Jesus is saying as good as that was, what I'm offering is even better. I'm offering something better than fields and houses. And cars, they didn't have cars. I'm offering something better than a closet full of clothes and a bank account that you can't even keep up with because it's growing so fast. I know that sounds nice, right? I mean, I think we'd all want that, but 
I'm offering something better. I'm offering new life. I'm offering something greater. And that's why I came. And that's what Jesus is saying here in this meal. And he's instituting a new meal. He's taking the Passover and he's saying, yes, we remember what God did for us. It anchors in the past, but it gives them new vision and new life. So in essence, Jesus is saying, I don't care if you've hurt me or sinned against me. I'm offering you something different. I'm offering you my presence, my body, that will reside in you and nourish you and give you life. And I'm offering you forgiveness of sins and a whole new way of being. I'm offering you freedom and life as it was meant to be. And so what does all this mean for us? First, none of us, none of us deserve his grace. But all of us have been offered it. Understand this in the context, right? These people were betraying Jesus. One of them literally betrayed him. The others denied him or ran. That's despicable, particularly in their culture, by the way. Nowadays, that's not as big a deal in our culture because our culture just kind of does whatever it wants to now and everything's okay. But in their culture, to lie or desert or to run away from your friend in need was like the worst thing you could do. And he offered it to them and said but I'm offering something. I'm still offering my presence to you. I'm still offering my forgiveness. I'm still offering you new life if you just take it. And so it is for us. There is none of us that are outside of the scope of God's grace. None of us that can't tap into that power. None of us that he's not offering himself to. Every single one of us, guys, have the ability. Every single one of us have the opportunity. Every single one of us. That's the first thing, which then, by the way, means that person that you hate and that you wish would get paper cut every time they turn a page, or that every time they drank coffee there would be grounds in it, or whatever. I don't know why, I don't even know how I came up with those two things. But that person that you loathe, it's even for them. That person who has disappointed you or done something against you, it's even for them. The worst of the worst, it is there for them. And God bless his heart. It would even be offered for Vladimir Putin. Let that sink in. shirtless on a horse guy's crazy that's the first point the second point is that what he's offering is his permanent presence with you guys that means everywhere you go every decision you make he can be there with you and he is there with you if you just acknowledge his presence and invite it in his promise is to be with you I shared this at a funeral last Sunday. The verse from Psalm 23 that says, Even though I walk through the valley of uh, the shadow of death, I will feel no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, your comfort me. 
That's a, that's a verse for the living. You understand that, right? That's a verse that would be apropos for the people in Ukraine right now. Even though you are going through hell on earth, I am with you. I promise my presence will be there. And he offers that to us, guys, and that's what, that's what this supper means. The breaking of the bread means I am with you. And then the third thing I think that we can take away from this is that what he's offering us is not just his presence, but his complete forgiveness. He wants to wipe the board clean for you. And then he wants to empower you to live a new life. The blood of his covenant is saying, guys, I'm giving you something better, something new. I'm, I'm preparing something great for you if you just tap into it. But how many of us settle? We settle for doing what everybody else does. We settle for looking like everybody else around us. Heck, I've said this before in Mobile, I think we settle for everybody driving the same cars. I mean, we do. You go to Baker, everybody drives a certain kind of car. You go to other schools, everybody drives a certain kind of car and it has to be white or black. You go to another school and everybody's driving a truck. <laughs> yeah! But even our cars, we want so bad to be like everybody else. But God's offering us something better if we just have I don't know what the right word is. The humility to take it. Twenty-four hours that changed the world. And it began with this meal. And in this meal, Jesus is saying clearly, I love you despite your brokenness. I am with you if you just invite me in. And I'm offering you a better way of being in a new life if you just take it. This is my body and this is my blood. We hope you found this week's message meaningful and impactful. And as always, don't just hear it, but put it into practice. Until next time, have a good one.